And if they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Amen. Humans love stories. We love to be bystanders as other people face the dramas in their lives. We love the tales of addicts that find resurrection, the celebrities that inspire and disgust us. We love the tales of heroes going out one last time in the dark on a boat and saving a family from their roof as the floodwaters rise. We love stories because in stories we expand our knowledge of the human experience. And we love stories because they inform us different aspects of life because they outline what is possible by tracing the contours of our souls. So today we have a story. Moses, a shepherd in exile tending sheep, an alien in a land far from home. And he was probably still mulling over the events that brought him there. And I know how the story goes. The burning bush, the voice, and a call to go to the place he didn't want to go. We know this story. And some of us probably directly wish God would intervene in our lives so clearly. Maybe we also wonder, are there are times in life where I've walked past a burning bush, walked past something that felt dangerous. How do you know if God is calling you to do something? I asked this question to my favorite professor at Chapel Hill, who also happened to be an ordained Presbyterian minister. Dr. Peck was a small man whose features almost could have been called dainty if they weren't so sharp. A nose like folded paper, his brow permanently creased, and his eyes like flint seeking steel. So I asked him, how do you know if God's calling you? He said, hmm. And the way he said it, I knew he meant to be engaging, but it also contained enough ritual to communicate that this question I thought that was provocative was not the first one he even asked. You see, what I think he said after a pause is that when God intervenes in human history, it's to call you to do something you don't want to do. And he asked me, what is it you don't want to do? And I think we can all agree Moses must have felt that way. I'm sure there are many nights when he was falling asleep and when he would mutter to himself, you just had to go look at that bush, didn't you? <laughs> but I believe my professor, what he said is true. Whenever I hear a theology or a call that justifies comfort, I'm immediately suspicious. And in my mind, the so-called prosperity gospel is idolatry, forever patting itself on the back. Because God calls believers to places we don't want to go, not to easy places and easy paths in life. So in discerning God's call, I ask you this morning, what makes you uncomfortable? Last Sunday, we heard Sandra Bird give a lucid introduction to the upcoming Quanania initiative in our parish. 
And in this process, we're going to shift from the care and energy we put with the upkeep of our buildings to a project beyond in our community. So I promise you, there will be no more references to the new roof. And we also trust that the vestry in the year 2050 will probably want to write us a thank you note for our faithfulness in caring for the buildings. So to the future, we can only say this, quoting a very famous Polynesian theologian, Maui. What can I say except you're welcome? Nobody laughed at the 745 on that joke. It bombed. (laughs) Nine o'clock, big laughs. So with this project, our focus can now change because we will begin to listen within the Asheville community to see what issue we can use our resources to confront. And the question is whether we can listen hard enough to identify the burning bush in our midst. But I warn you, there's danger in undertaking this work. Because I believe we're not called to be another affluent congregation asked to go out and fix something. And speaking for myself as a white, straight male with so much privilege, I believe this approach has been tried a million times, and I've often seen it may relieve the itch, but does nothing to kill the mosquito. And personally, I have failed in this approach, and I suddenly know that I can't fix anything except my own need to feel relevant. The scary part of this discernment is that it's going to demand something. It's going to demand that we are in relationship. And I believe it's only through relationship that we can discover the fullness of the kingdom of God. This brings me back to stories. Like many of my generation, I've been instructed on the art of postmodern critique. I've read the Masters of Deconstruction that again and again reframe history in terms of the marginalized, telling the untold stories. And I admit very freely that in many ways this approach has humbled me, informed me, shamed me, and illuminated me. But I believe so many of the problems we face as a nation are the direct result of a loss of our national story. I think it's time to ask, who are we as a nation of people? A few weeks back, I was in Boston with some childhood friends when a group of white nationalists held a free speech rally in the Boston Common. And after the events in Charlottesville, each of our spouses made us promise that we wouldn't attend the counter-protest. Unfortunately, all of my friends seemed to have a similar curiosity and jocular disregard for safety. In other words, we're all kind of idiots. And there was a spoken understanding that while we agreed to be safe, we had to go at least and check it out. So walking up to the Boston Commons, we noticed it was ringed by thousands of counter-protesters, and people were streaming in from every direction. Police were everywhere, on bikes, on foot, and undercover. Garbage trucks and steel barricades blocked the entrances to the common. There were dogs circulating all around, sniffing for explosives. Everyone, it seemed, were holding signs denouncing racism. It was kind of as if every bumper sticker 
on a Subaru at Earth Fair have been liberated and put on the banners and placards. And in the middle of this counter-protest on a gazebo, separated from the rowdy crowd, stood the white supremacists. I counted them, about 75 people. They also had their own signs. But they were all milling around on that gazebo like the world's saddest junior high dance. And a crowd of an estimated 40,000 people around them drowned out anything they had to say with their one single squeaky megaphone. And as I walked around, I was heartened by the attendance of the counter-protest. With over 35 colleges and universities, I think they picked the wrong city. (laughs) But then I noticed something. Listening closely, I began to discern that the gathering was not as harmonious as I thought it would be. Because among the counter-protest, there were arguments all around me. Disagreements about any number of slight differences. And they were arguing passionately with each other. Some were even screaming at each other. And a few fights even broke out. And I want to say, hey, you two, who hold 99% in common, why do you hate each other? Then I felt the urge to take them aside and say, look, Look at the gazebo. Right there, look. Those are the bad guys. The bad guys wearing white robes. (laughs) My point is, I fear we have lost our ability to begin with what unites our country. Because we don't talk about commonality. We talk about critique. We can no longer believe in our story as a people. So as a nation, we need to ask, who are we? What is our identity? Truthfully, I know whatever the outcome of this new Quantania project is, is not going to stamp out racism, or poverty, drug addiction, or economic disparity. It's not going to solve our community's housing crisis, or fix the infant mortality disparity between minorities. It's not going to make Sweeten Creek not become a parking lot each day at 5.30. But I pray it will ignite a burning bush in our midst. And approaching that holy ground, we will be sent to a place we do not wish to go. There we will remind everyone that our commonality is that God is the ground of our being then perhaps we will have the relationship to create a new story, a story of how all souls truly became all souls. I apologize, because this next little part's a little cheesy, but it's also true. And also my friend Brian Cole told me to always quote someone else in your sermon, so at least to hear one good thing. <laughs> this quote's from the Dead Poet Society. The truth is is that you are here, that life exists, and that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. The powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? All souls, in this time of discernment, we need to ask, what's our verse? Amen.